Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I am your host tonight, Gavin Tolomedi, and I am joined with... Laura Munoz. And we're going to be speaking with PhD student Claire Bottini in the Department of Biology. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me here. No, thank you for coming on. We're very excited to learn about your research. Uh, are you excited, Laura? Yes, of course. <laughs> so, Clary, can we can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Um, so, yeah, I'm a PhD student at Western University, and I'm basically um, studying or assessing if contamination uh, or exposure to methane mercury may impact the health or the physiology of birds. And part of the measure I'm taking is behavior. So I'm looking at uh, effect on molds, on uh, migratory behavior, and a bunch of different markers. So um, I could I should maybe add that it's not I'm not only looking at the effect of methane mercury, but I'm also looking at effect of other stressors. So does stress may uh, increase uh, the, the impact of methane mercury, or does it compensate somehow for the impact of methane mercury? Or does it completely independent effect? Or? So that was the main question for the for the project I wanted to uh, talk about today. That's interesting. So I was wondering why is this important? Like why will you want to study the effect on those mm -hmm. birds? Um, the first studies on methane mercury impact were first on humans and then uh, started to look like more on wildlife but uh, more into aquatic wildlife so like fish uh, also or, uh, wildlife that were eating fish and more recently around 2000, uh, 20, 2008 I think or 2010 um, as publication demonstrated for the first time that there was a pathway for the mercury in the aquatic environment to uh, pass over terrestrial environments and so he realized, or this study realized uh, that uh, terrestrial wildlife were in fact exposed and songbirds, because they, have, they are on the top of their own food chain, they're eating insects, which eating other uh, insects, they get at a very high level of exposure and may potentially be impacted and have data use effects due to methane exposure. So I had this kind of, uh, I, for me, it was very interesting questions of, what are the effects uh, on birds, especially? And yeah, it was mainly a curiosity. And why I'm adding stress into that, it's because in a wild birds, you, you have stress uh, everywhere. You have a predator, you have human presence, you have a food shortage, you have a challenging um, life stage like migration. So everything can be potentially challenging. And so it's not a question of dealing with contaminant, but it's also dealing with challenging periods of uh, stressful uh, events. And very few studies uh, were looking into that. So I was saying, hey, I would be very interested in, in digging more into it. And I got the opportunity uh, with uh, my supervisor, Scott McDougall Shackleton, and I'm very glad of it. And I'm very having a lot of fun uh, looking more into it. Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting when you, you think about mercury, like any type of compound that in includes that element, you would automatically assume it's going to be harmful because we, especially in health sciences, we hear it all, it's, it's heard all the time that mercury is bad, full mm -hmm. stop. But then it's interesting to know that you're also seeing, at least specifically with birds, perhaps it can help them 
overcome or make some of these stressful situations a little bit easy for them and it, then it won't negatively impact their health as much? Um, so two things on that point. First of all, it's not because you're exposed to mercury that you will automatically have the later use effect. It's question of dose. So mm -hmm. basically, if, you, if you're exposed to high enough dose, yes, you will have negative impacts, but a small dose won't do much damage to you and to wildlife. Um, and I forgot the second point. Um, sorry, what was your follow-up on your questions? It's, yeah, why? Oh, it's like, interesting oh, yeah. to know that how it could actually be and it, it could help them in the in that when they, they come they're introduced to stressful situations mm -hmm. in fact it's the contrary uh, so um, stress seems to at least on my results stress seems to help compensating for the effect of methyl mercury um, it, it, it's really weird my results are a bit weird like that so stress may have an effect and methyl mercury can have an opposite effect and the treatments i have that have both stress and methyl mercury are, are a bit on uh, in between, but they can still be different from the uh, control treatment that doesn't receive anything. So it's a, like a compensation, but it may still be different from the control treatment. So, so that's interesting because I was wondering how did you realize that mercury was like they were in contact with mercury in the first place? Like, did you see any change, or you or someone measured mercury on these birds, or? How did you get to that point? Um, so the first study that detected a uh, high level of mercury in birds, they were just looking at um, a, a contaminated zone. I think it was close to a land mine, um, yeah, mining area. And they wanted to measure how far mercury can spread around this, uh, this aquatic habitat. They, were, they had, I'm not sure if it was a river or a pond, or they were measuring different mercury contamination in, uh, in plants, in birds, in insects, in the old uh, areas around this uh, mining. And they captured some birds and they realized that the level in the bl blood of birds were very, very high. And it wasn't uh, fish eating birds. It's something that, that you can expect for fish eating birds because the, the food of the fish get contaminated, the fish eat the foods, so they get a higher contamination. The birds that eat the fish get a higher event contamination. But in insectivorous birds, they, they were not expecting that at all. Um, so that's how they realize uh, that, yeah, insectivorous birds may be contaminated at even similar level than fish-eating birds. And so, with that, uh, there was follow-up study that took either blood or air sample, oh, feather sample from the birds in um, migratory stopover, for example, and realize a portion of those population were uh, contaminated with mercury. So how is it that the insect eating birds can pick up this um, contaminant? Is it they get it? Because I'm assuming in that case, the insects had to have somehow gotten the contamination. So yeah. do you know roughly, do you know how that, that happens? Mm -hmm. uh, more or less. Uh, so you have aquatic emergent insects. So insects where uh, part of a life stage as a larvae is within aquatic habitat. So if your uh, water is contaminated, then the aquatic emergent insect will get contaminated. And as an adult, they will fly over terrestrial habitats and then get captured by either uh, spiders or songbirds. And then the songbirds can potentially eat spiders. Um, you may have uh, 
very, not especially river, but very humid habitat, so like a wetland, uh, where you have a lot of um, anaerobic, uh, let's say a lot of uh, vegetal matter decomposition, but it's still wet enough that you have uh, anaerobic um, condition, uh, yes, conditions. So the bacteria that are in the ground or in the water cannot uh, respire, so I cannot use oxygen. And they have this pathway where uh, in absence of oxygen, uh, they, they use some of our components and one of those components or side component is mercury, which get biotransformed uh, into methylmercury, which then uh, get into the ground, which can then eat, begin, gets eaten by worms and the worms get eaten by birds and insects. And so you have this whole uh, food chain should I reformulate that or was it clear enough? No, no, I think it was clear. No, that was clear, yeah. yeah. So yeah. in like, so I was wondering, do you feed worms into your birds? Like the birds that you have that you're specifically studying, are you feeding them insects or? or it's a good question. Yeah. I could have done that. It would have been more difficult for me. So I took the easy way where um, I created, uh, at least I use, methods from a previous PhD student and other uh, lab member uh, colleagues in my lab where they, uh, we have this technique or these methods where we create um, a diet, artificial diet based on agar. So agar is the uh, compound that you can put in your food to make it a bit more thicker, for example. And it will um, so dissolve in water and make a uh, thick jelly-based uh, food. So we add... Um, all the compounds that we judge necessary for to, to look, not to look like, but to be as similar as possible than the natural diet for the birds. And so, because it's agar and we have water, we can dissolve methylmercury into this uh, mix. So we have kind of uh, solid, it's more solid than a jelly, but uh, we have this kind of white, white paste that we can cut in small parts small pieces and give those pieces to the birds and the bird will eat that. And so if we decide to dissolve methylmercury into it, the, uh, those pieces, this uh, agar food will get contaminated and the bird will get contaminated. And do you change the level of methyl mercury that you put into the food from food with nothing in it and food to maybe extremely high doses? I could do that, yeah. Um, I choose to only look at one dose because it was easier and I can just compare uncontaminated bird to contaminated birds. Um, but yeah, it would be very easy to do. If I wanted different doses, I can just adjust, adjust the uh, amount of mercury I was putting into the water and that's it. It's a very simple way to do it. That's interesting. So you, you said, you mentioned before that you're also measuring the levels of stress. And now mm -hmm. I'm wondering how do you measure this and you account for the fact that they're changing like their habitat and you 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 for example i imagine a bird a wild bird that is trying to eat worms from the ground and they they're not getting that like thing <laughs> that they used to do and that could be a cause of stress of stress as well so how do you make sure that your studies accounting for those changes changes in lifestyle as well yeah it's a great question um the fact is, we, uh, we, it's difficult to account for captivity stress. So, um, because all, both of my treatments, so um, all the birds, all the birds I had were all in the same captive condition. Technically, the effect of mercury I can see 
it's only due to make free mercury and not stress captivity because even my control birds were in captivity as well. So by standardizing the condition I put the birds in, um, I can still detach this methyl mercury effect. But yeah, you're right, captivity will have effect on, on the birds and it's something we can do our best to put the birds in the best condition mm -hmm. as possible, but we cannot control the, the effect it has on the birds. Um, part of it, I um, control partially for it uh, with, by taking birds I, that were held in captivity for a long time at least a big part of a number of the bird I have during my experiment came from a previous experiment where they were measuring only uh, behavioral stuff. So it's uh, something that were not affecting my own uh, data, my own results. So it's birds that were used to captivity. So I hope they were not uh, too much surprised by the new environment. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's very difficult to control for captive stress. And have you noticed what stresses that you've applied to the birds have been have had more of an impact on their health in general? Um, okay, so maybe I should descri describe first how I did stress the birds. Um, oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's surprise, <laughs> a really good point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically, to stress them, I applied the unpredictable, unpredictable food stress. So. What I mean by that, it's um, basically within the uh, light hours of the day, I, re I randomly remove a food cup during three hours per day. So during, basically during three hours every day, randomly they did not have access to food and they couldn't predict when they will not have access to this food and that's uh, why enough to stress them. So it's they were not starving, they were just hungry and because they couldn't predict when they will have uh, this food access, that was stressing them. Um, and I measure there, it's difficult to measure stress, but we have different indicators that could tell us if they were impacted by this treatment or not. One of them is um, a metabolic rate. And so it's basically the amount of energy they are um, not wasting, but they are using uh, during a resting time, like during night. Um, so I measure their respiration and the respiration tell us how much energy they, they uh, consume during the night. And I, in my results, the stress treatment, so the birds where, where I only had stress had a reduced amount of metabolic rate. So for somehow they had this adaptation, not adaptation, but acclimatation, where they managed to save energy uh, for themselves, probably because they have a bit less food during the day um, so they managed to keep a bit more energy, but their food consumption, the amount of food they eat per day were the same, their body conditions, so the amount of fat and lean uh, muscle mass, I mean, uh, were the same as well, at least as far as the results uh, I have right now. I still need to analyze them a bit more into detail, but the gross result is their body condition were not affected, their amount of food were not affected, uh, some of the behavior were not changed as well. Um, so yeah, some, some measures were affected by stress, not all of them. Uh, yes, and I mentioned two measures. The other measure I was uh, looking at was uh, corticosterone. So corticosterone is a hormone that will usually uh, have numerous um, purpose in your organisms. One of them is to bring energy to your muscle. Oh, and it will, for example, rise um, during stressful events. 
And so I measure these hormones in all the birds and the stress treatments um, have a different hormonal level in there. I measure it in the fecal, on the, in the poop of the birds. Uh, that was very fun, but um, nice, to, uh, nice to, 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 to develop because uh, like that, I wasn't stressing the bird while taking this measure. Um, and so the stressed birds um, had a different hormonal or corticosterone level than the control birds, but I measured different time points and this effect was different depending on my time point. So the first time point I had, they had a lower uh, corticosterone level, but later on during, stressful, uh, during my treatment, they had higher uh, corticosterone level. So it's seasonal effect in addition of stressful effects. And I have to dig more into it to understand why it's changing that way uh, with time. And I'm, and I'm wondering, is it also different from males and females? Like, I guess they have also different behaviors and maybe it could affect them differently. I don't know, I'm just... Yeah, no, you're entirely right. Um, metabolic rate, for example, were affected. So I think it was decreasing in male, but increasing in female, on stressed female and stressed, decreasing in stressed male and increasing in stressed female. But the fact is that I mainly had male. So I have very few female. So I can't be fully certain of what are the effect on female. Uh, okay. So, mm -hmm. and why do you think that can be, that it increases in female and decreases in male? I'm not sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's a new PhD that, thesis. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, I think that that's a complete, completely valid answer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, male and female have different um, way of reacting to things, of uh, different hormonal reactions. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It just sounds similar. It sounds quite similar when humans get stressed. I know people that either, if they're in under law stress, they won't touch food at all because they don't feel mm -hmm. like it. But then other people are just stuffing their faces filled with chocolate and crisps because they need to keep busy or they're just in, under so much pressure. But yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, it's interesting that the for birds that you're seeing a difference in their health based on the sex of the bird. But mm -hmm. hopefully, maybe further down the line, you might find out why it is that females have higher metabolic rates for males that goes down and I completely forgot to ask this question earlier but what was the species of bird that you're studying in your yeah, lab? Yeah that's true I should have mentioned that <laughs> um, so I use a song sparrow so it's one of the little brown birds that you will have in your backyard um, so it's usually associated with aquatic habitat and uh, shrubby area so it, they will is they are basically Basically, uh, most of the year they are they eat uh, grains, and uh, but during the uh, summer they will catch insects to feed their young. So and usually they will catch uh, aquatic emergent insects, particularly and uh, spider, and but still may have some uh, grains and uh, plants within their diets. So they they can uh, be exposed, uh, and I think they were mentioned as being a good sentinel species for. Um, a form of mercury exposure by uh, prior publications. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and because it's so common, and we know by experience that they adapt well to captivity, and a lot of prior study use them. So we, it was great, uh, a great model species for us. Yeah, because I was actually going to ask from there, like the birds that you you get to to the lab to do this study. Do you have do you specifically select birds that have been in previous? Um, 
tests or are in environments where there's already a lot of people and already a lot of stressful situations? Or do you try to get birds that are probably further uh, isolated from human activity and infrastructure and they're more adapted to what their natural behavior would be? Mm -hmm. It's a good question. Um, it depends on your research question. It depends uh, as well of um, what will be the impact on the, on the birds during captivity. Do you want to release the birds or will you have to euthanize them? Uh, so usually we try not to capture uh, species at risk. Um, so yeah, that's what, one of the reasons we choose Sunsparrow because they are so common. But if we take uh, 30 individuals from the wild, uh, that won't impact the population. Um, so yeah, once again, this depends on your question. Um, in Song Sparrow, they, kept, they still kept, I think, their natural uh, behavior, even in captivity. I had birds that uh, were eating the, its paper, but they were still picking on the, on the ground, uh, still trying to, um, to perch, still, still having regular, at least what we consider normal behavior. I think prior study of mine with white throat sparrow, they even had one or two females that trying to lay egg in captivity. So they seem happy and uh, still have their uh, regular behavior. So does that answer your question? No, it does. Yeah, I was just I was quite curious to know if you ever if you ever noticed the difference between birds that never interacted with humans a lot and birds that are pretty much born in so used to humans that they probably their entire behavioral uh, patterns changed mm -hmm. yeah probably some species will not adapt to captivity as well um species that were will be more sensitive to stress um i had a colleague that's uh bring warbler in in captivity and this adapts so well in in captivity that they got so fat they couldn't fly anymore at some point so exaggerating but yeah they were full of fat and they were super happy and <laughs> so yeah she had some difficulty because they, she she was feeding the birds a bit too much probably <laughs> so she had to reduce the food amount so yeah so uh, uh, in your findings, you did find that uh, mercury affects their behavior. And yes. I was wondering how you measure that. And also like if these are, because I know that a lot of birds are like very social and they have like very strong social relationships. And I'm wondering if you also look at that. But That's like first question, uh, what was the result of your, <laughs> of your research? Um, so yeah, result on behavior. So uh, I measure migratory behavior among other uh, measures, but migratory behavior is the most recent result I have. And uh, I find it pretty cool, but that's my personal opinion. Uh, so to measure migratory behavior, um, so we let's start with, that, with the fact that we kept the birds on a regular natural light schedule. So they still have this uh, photo period or light cues that at some point the season, the season is changing. And some at a certain time, so they receive this cue that it start to, it's, they need to start migrating. Song sparrow, at least in our uh, latitude, are migratory birds. So during winter, uh, at least in fall, they will start preparing for migration. So in September, when it's the regular or normal time for the sun sparrow to migrate, we put a camera in front of the cages and uh, basically let the camera roll overnight. And we had this uh, night activity uh, of a migratory behavior uh, within the cages. And after that, we had uh, I collaborated with an undergraduate study, student 
that she analyzed uh, uh, videos uh, for uh, nocturnal activity, which basically correspond to a migratory activity in wild bird. And our result was that um, the birds exposed to methylmercury were basically hy hyperactive, so they were uh, active for more intensely and for a longer time period during the night than a control bird or stress bird. The stress bird were not different from the control ones, and the treatment which I had both stress and methylmercury uh, applied, not really applied, but the birds that were exposed to both stress and methylmercury um, had a kind of intermediate um, behavior between the methylmercury treatment and the stress treatment. So that was pretty interesting to, uh, to see that. Okay, no, that's quite interesting findings that you've been able to get. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yeah, I, I do, was, yeah. Sorry, I was predicting the contrary, in fact. I was predicting that the cost of methylmercury would in fact delay the uh, migration because they will need more time to prepare for migration. And in fact, no, they were more active. And it's probably a good thing, but um, when I started my uh, this study, a publication came out uh, just before that, just before I started the study, showing a very similar result where they expose the birds, uh, release them in the wild, and uh, they show that the methylmercury exposed birds were departing sooner than they to their, from their release site. So it's very same results. Uh, so it's very fun to have uh, to see that. And do you have any hypotheses of why that might be, or this is like the second part of your research, or something you're going um, to look at? I have ideas. I it would be difficult to confirm. Um, I'm suspecting that somewhere, methylmercury exposure will disrupt the cues they 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 need. Uh, they to depart. They need a cue from the brain of the body saying, "Hey, it's time to depart. You need to go now." And probably ever you have uh, multiple cues and research is still ongoing on knowing which are those cues. So you have probably cues from the fat mass, the, the muscle mass, uh, cues from the environment as well. Um, so if the environment is good, they will uh, stay more, more in place. If it's bad, they will leave sooner. Um, so you have, you, you have multiple cues uh, like that and, and probably some of those cues of a reception of those of those cues will be disrupted, uh, and will give a signal that it's time to depart now, and that it's if you depart, you have to depart quickly and uh, be efficient at that. So, I think it's what happened. It's difficulty. It's difficult to prove it. I showed that uh, corticosterone levels are increasing uh, during this uh, time period, and is uh, is correlated to the uh, migratory behavior in my birds. So probably due to, uh, in relation to a methylmercury exposure. But is it the only aspect? I don't think so. There is probably uh, multiple things going on. So yeah, the uh, one really important point uh, behind my, my study was that um, something I should have explained probably at the beginning, it's the exposure time of my birds um, were during only three months during summer, and then I kept them for post-exposure period. And we, this post-exposure period was for another three months. And when we recorded this migratory behavior and recorded this uh, effect of methylmercury uh, on migratory behavior, it was during this post-exposure period in September. So 
we, this means that um, this disrupted behavior occurred two, at least two months after this, uh, the exposure ended. And that's important in terms of ecology and conservation. It's because that suggests that birds could have deleterious effects several months after uh, exposure and that could potentially uh, push the bird to uh, depart, for example, at um, suboptimal uh, timing, which may reduce their survival even after uh, exposure ended. And um, something that is important to note as well, it's um, methylmercury in the blood of a bird was quite low at the time of uh, this, we recorded this migratory behavior. So at least to me, it suggests that it's an indirect effect of methylmercury on this behavior, not a direct effect of mercury. So we possibly have both effect, direct and indirect, but I have tendency to believe that it's a methylmercury will affect one of the cue, which will push the bird to depart or to have a stronger migratory behavior in September, uh, instead of having a direct effect on this behavior. So yeah, it's important at least in my opinion, in terms of conservation, because that means population could be affected as a whole during their migration, uh, even if they are, don't, they are not exposed to methylmercury anymore. But no, that's really good. It is really good that your results um, are complementing a recent publication that came out. So it's very exciting to see that your research is um, moving forward and showing very good results. So uh, congratulations on that part. Thank you. And uh, fortunately, we are starting to run out of time, and I would I still have a lot of bird questions to ask. But if anyone wanted to contact you and ask you more about your work, where could they find you? Um, so, if it's about my work, they can directly contact me by email. So it would be C Botin, so B O T T I N uh, at uh, uw .ca. Um, Yeah, there is not the last I in my email address. It's a bit weird. Um, Otherwise, I have a Twitter account, but I don't really share my research in that. I should, I will try to do that more. Um, so my Twitter account will be uh, Claire Bottini, or at Claire Bottini uh, on Twitter. And yeah, just contact me by email or send. That will be probably the best way to join me. All right, sounds good. We'll make sure to add this to the show notes. Thank you for coming on again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So this has been GradCast, the radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I've been your host, Gavin Talametti, with my co-host, Laura Munoz, and we have been speaking with Claire Bottonini, the PhD student from the Department of Biology. If you would like to learn more about our show or come on as a guest, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can find all of our archived episodes on our website, gradcast.ca, or you can find our episodes on podcast apps such as Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select Podcast Happy and upload to YouTube at Gradcast Radio, or you can follow us at Twitter and Instagram at Gradcast Radio. We are on Radio Western 94.9 FM. Thank you for listening, and have a good night.